0: Time to end America's longest war. When President Biden took office in January, he inherited an agreement that his predecessor had reached with the Taliban to remove all remaining U.S. forces from Afghanistan by May 1st of this year. As part of that agreement, the previous administration pressed the Afghan government to release 5,000 Taliban prisoners, including some top war commanders. Meanwhile, it reduced our own force presence to 2,500 troops. In return the Taliban agreed to stop attacking U.S. and partner forces and to refrain from threatening Afghanistan's major cities. But the Taliban continued its relentless march on remote outposts, checkpoints, villages, and districts, as well as some of the major roads connecting the cities. It's
1: clear that Anthony Blinken's plan, appearing in front of the House Foreign Relations Committee and the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, is blame Trump. Blame Trump in the morning, blame tr- Trump in the evening, blame Trump around supper time. This is the entirety of the plan. And after getting just vilified for not showing up in front of Congress in person regarding the House uh, Foreign Relations Committee, he did show up in person for the Senate, where one after another after another senator of both parties, it seemed— We're very clear to discuss the incredible amount of failure. Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey. The execution of the U.S. withdrawal was clearly and fatally flawed. This committee expects to receive a full explanation of the administration's decisions on Afghanistan since coming into office last January. There has to be accountability. I could not agree more. There has to be accountability. But will there be when you've got a Secretary of State who takes none? Tony Katz. Tony Katz, today, it is good to be with you. 833-468-8669-833-GOT-TONY. Noah Rothman joins us right now. Noah C., that's the letter C. Noah C. Rothman on the Twitter box, NBC news commentary magazine commentary.org and you watch these last two days of Anthony Blinken uh, engage a conversation where you know he does not seem to think that the problem is his or of the administration's that the objective at the first was clearly push the guilt onto Donald Trump who is no longer president but maybe you saw things I didn't your take of two days of testimony from the Secretary
0: of State Let's tease out this uh, you know, blame-Trump strategy because I want to be fair to this administration. I've been very hard on them over the course of this Afghanistan withdrawal. Um, and much of Tony Blinken's claims here are conjectural, but they're not entirely based in, without any facts. On Election Day 2020, um, there were approximately 8,600 U.S. soldiers, to say nothing of NATO troops, in Afghanistan. Um, by Inauguration Day, that had been ramped down dramatically to 2,500 troops. So Joe Biden did inherit a very modest footprint. And Tony Blinken says, you know, there was no plan. We didn't inherit a plan for withdrawal. And that may be true. And the, the former administration may have been barreling towards a withdrawal um, predicated on nothing insofar as, you know, the Taliban's, they, as a conditional withdrawal, but they, they weren't abiding by the Taliban's conditions. So maybe that's true. It's also entirely irrelevant. It is immaterial to the issue at hand, which is Bless how your you executed withdrawal, which is how you managed this debacle. It has nothing to do with the previous administration. If you inherited a bad hand, play a different hand. I this has been our argument today, that they are having a
1: conversation about X, but that's not the conversation at hand. Chris Murphy, the senator from Connecticut, went about this same kind of conversation, but it's not the conversation at hand. I'll I'll share that for everybody later. They will not address what has happened in the withdrawal itself, and it seems to be that there are some Democrats out there, say on Senator Murphy of Connecticut and Senator Booker of New Jersey, there are some senators out there willing to say this was as bad as it looks and we don't actually know how bad it is especially when we talk about the numbers of Afghanis uh, spe- special immigrant visa holders and Americans left behind
0: yeah we still don't have accurate numbers along those lines some advocacy groups claim that um, citizens uh, U.S. residents and citizens could number in the thousand to say nothing of the Uh, eligible wartime allies who we left behind who could number, in the tens or perhaps even close to 100,000. We don't know the answer to that, and the administration's being coy about it for a variety of reasons. Um, Look, we got reporting yesterday out of this book that's coming out from uh, Bob Woodward and uh, Robert Costa that alleges that uh, Tony Blinken didn't want any of this, that Tony Blinken went to a, a principal's meeting, rather a meeting with his counterparts, NATO allies, counterparts, foreign ministers, what have you, emerged from that meeting and reported that the consensus among our allies was to stop, don't do this, don't withdraw, leverage American pr- presence in Afghanistan for political concessions from the Taliban, for influence over an interim government. Um, and he was overruled by the president, which ex- perhaps explains why he turned in such a horrifically unconvincing performance over the course of these uh, last two days of hearings. And um, making de- when the state- when he wasn't making statements that were debatable, were clearly unconvincing and offensive, insofar as this administration continues to cling to the notion that the the fault for anybody who was left behind in Afghanistan lies squarely on their shoulders, as though his agency, the State Department, wasn't speaking out of both sides of its mouth throughout the whole course of this of this event. They they talk about how they uh, they sent out 19 specific credible messages to any American in in Afghanistan to get out. All the while, the embassy that is run by the State Department was saying we're open, we're going to remain open, contingencies are in place to ensure that in any catastrophe that happens, you're still going to have access to American services. Uh, That clearly is not the case. It was not the case. We're led to believe that either this this agency was utterly incompetent or is simply trying to massage this message to get itself out of a jam. Um, I'm inclined to believe the latter, but I could be convinced of the former.
1: Now, so much, you're talking about that book from Woodward and Costa, talking to Noah Rothman, Commentary, commentary Magazine, NBC News. We've been really focused on that whole Milley part of it, the conversation with Chinese counterparts, the reporting from, from Axios, from Jonathan Swan, from Jennifer Griffin, a Fox News channel. Uh, you even have uh, National Review saying that there should be an investigation of Mark Milley, something I agree with, because there are things that could be standard operating procedure and things very far from standard operating procedure. Very few people are discussing, as you are, this conversation about Secretary of State Blinken not wanting to go along these lines. So the question would be, why would he go in front of Congress and play this part? Why not say, I didn't want to be any part of this? Why not walk? Isn't there a, a conversation of you're supposed to step away if the president's doing something you don't believe in, a la a Mad Dog Mattis?
0: Yeah, I mean, that is some, the example. I mean, you can, be, you can convince yourself that you are so indispensable, um, that your value to the administration is such that it would, it would harm American interests for you to walk away from your post, um, e- even though you're, you have pangs of conscience. I don't know what's in this man's head. I wouldn't speculate to that, to that extent, but that's a, a line of thought that is common, and people occupy these kind of positions and have to perform roles that conflict with their conscience. Um, nevertheless… You don't have to turn in the kind of performance that he did. Even if you have to polish this apple, you feel like you have no choice but to polish the apple. You don't have to say things like what Tony Blinken said in this hearing, the most offensive of which during his opening statements, in my regard, or my view, was the following, quote, The Taliban has committed to prevent terrorist groups from using Afghanistan as a base for external operations that could threaten the United States and our allies, including al-Qaeda and ISIS-K, unquote. that conflicts not just with the evidence of your own eyes, but the administration. The administration's own intelligence apparatus is, con- is insisting to anyone willing to listen that the Taliban has not abandoned its support for al-Qaeda. Indeed, that was a sticking point during the negotiations over a withdrawal during the Trump administration, that they refused to acknowledge or re- renounce their ties to al-Qaeda. They have elevated a man named uh, uh Haqqani to serve as the interior Uh, Minister who oversees domestic security. He's got a $10 million bounty on his head from the FBI and is judged by the United Nations to be, quote, uh, one of the – part of the al-Qaeda's wider leadership, unquote. And now according to the deputy CIA director and the Defense Intelligence Agency's director, both of whom testified yesterday – or I'm sorry, Monday – Um, that they believe that al-Qaeda will reconstitute itself under the Taliban leadership and that it will present a threat to the American homeland within 12 to 24 months. That is a, quote, conservative estimate, according to DAA director Scott Breyer. So I don't know who Tony Blinken is getting this information from. He seems to be the only person who believes the Taliban is seeing to our long-term security interests, and it's directly conflicting with the administration's own intelligence agencies. It is maddening.
1: First things first, how long before uh, al-Qaeda is a threat to the United States?
0: According to director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, Scott Breyer, somewhere between 12 to 24 months. And this also comports with the estimates that were, according to General Milley, who had a conversation with uh, uh, members of the Senate, that comports with their estimate. They're increasing the timeline, the accelerated timeline at which the Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda will present a threat to the American homeland. So we're talking about multiple aspects, multiple elements within the executive agencies.
1: Now, I was going to say, Noah, you know, I, I, I've known Noah a, a while. I have shared a beer with, with Noah Rothman. And until this, I didn't know that Noah's voice knew another register. And I had said the other day, I have never heard you this angry. I, I take it back. I've never heard you this angry and i what i wanted to st- step into was your piece over at washington examiner called yes biden blew it um where it's just it's it's Dude, it's 2,600 words of laying out the case for this is not debate. As you were discussing and I have been discussing, I'm so glad you brought it up. The difference between whether or not we should have been at war in Afghanistan, the difference between whether or not we engaged in the proper policies regarding Afghanistan, whether we trained the the Afghan nationals properly or the Afghan military properly, that is all a different conversation than the withdrawal. But take me through how you described the TikTok to people. How indeed did Biden blow it?
0: yeah i mean it it is tough to summarize that piece in the time allotted as it is a little sprawling um but uh you know basically the biden administration says that you know this was the optimal scenario um it wasn't great but it was as good as it's going to get and if you don't love it blame trump um the as we said earlier uh the biden administration did craft a plan for withdrawal and they stuck to it well after the point that it had become obvious to all sentient observers that it would be a colossal mistake. Um, they elected to evacuate almost the entirety of the military presence in Afghanistan before civilian officials, um, with the exception of, you know, a few non, non-essential people in the embassy, uh, otherwise didn't, didn't neglect or didn't elect to evacuate civilian personnel, uh, shockingly, despite, you know, leaving behind and, or not leaving behind anybody who, would, who could see to their evacuation competently. Um, we talked about how the Biden and the embassy both assured Americans on the ground that the Taliban's takeover was unlikely in July, even as intelligence assessments in July were growing bleaker and bleaker. The Biden administration elected in the dead of night to abandon Bagram Air Base um, only, according to reporting, because of the optics. The optics would have looked terrible. One defense official told Politico that it would look like a reinvasion and it would have required 8,000 troops to secure bagram And it would have been subject to Taliban attacks. This beggars belief in part because um, the deal that we had with the Taliban to secure the airport, to, to provide for our security around the airport, a deal that did not provide for our security, by the way. Um, was that we had a mutual self-interest in getting out as fast as possible. And that required 6,000 troops to secure that airport, not the, quote, 600, 700 number, according to General Milley. That was all the the administration would allow them for a time. So we're not talking about a troop presence and why our mutual self-interest would suddenly dissolve only because we were getting out of there faster with more alacrity and in a more defensible position makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, And according to The Washington Post – uh, the Taliban, which was just as surprised as we were by the, the speed with which they retook the, con- uh, reconquered the country, they offered the United States a deal. They said, listen, we can't control the capital. We don't have the people. So you control the capital, or you, you'd have the airport, one or the other. And we said, well, we'll take the airport because to uh, control the capital – which would have provided for more security for Americans, gotten more Americans and Afghans out, and would have provided us with untold sums of political capital to determine where the interim government would go after this, um, was abandoned because we just didn't want the troop presence, which, by the way, we had no choice but to reinsert. We had to put thousands of troops back on the ground, even though Joe Biden didn't want to do that. And so we just sacrificed what would have been our de facto control over the Capitol for the foreseeable future, and which would have been an invaluable asset. Um, beyond that, the quote-unquote over-the-horizon strategy that this president believes somehow exists, despite all evidence to the contrary, having executed retaliatory responses against ISIS suicide attacks, uh, one of which apparently had a ton of collateral damage and may not have even had its, its intended target, have demonstrated to anybody who's paying attention That this is woefully insufficient that you cannot perform these kind of strikes without accurate actionable intelligence on the ground particularly in the afghan pakistan region which is deep in central asia and not easy to get to from the persian gulf so um i'm struggling to find a way to say that this on the Biden administration's part was um inevitable that there was you know some other circumstance that was that could have prevented this from happening that this was as good as it could have gotten and every step of the way you see how they could have stopped what they were doing how they could have intervened how they could have prevented this how they could have stop, you know perhaps not even right. withdrawn the air support intelligence support logistical support that they pulled from the Afghan national army which they did in late july when it was far too late there were so many opportunities to stop this from becoming the debacle that it was and they chose not to
1: and so this this leads to two things, which is one, good thing they planned for every contingency. And number two, this is what gets people to say, I mean, I'm not a conspiratorial cat and we're, not gonna, we're gonna discuss this another time. It gets people to say, there were so many times to stop this and Biden didn't stop it. It's almost as if he wanted it. And I make the argument that what he wanted was to be the guy who ended the war. He didn't want this, but he figures this is something he can get by as long as he can plant his flag, legacy-wise and say, I'm the president who ended the war. Look at me. We're going to save that conversation, though, for another day. Noah Rothman, Noah C. Rothman on Twitter, commentary, commentary magazinecommentary.org, and over there at NBC. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us, Noah. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. So there's a story out of the New York Post about a Chinese defector. I, I believe I'm pronouncing it right. Wei Jing Sheng. has a book, What Really Happened in Wuhan. Wuhan, and from his account, he first started hearing about a virus around the time of something called the World Military Games in Wuhan, October 2019. He defected in 1997. Is it possible that there were warnings about this before we knew about it, which would fit perfectly as we've seen where the virus was in, in Italy and other places and being seen in December and, and November before we, we heard about uh, the outbreak? Certainly fits into the rationale that China lies because all communists lie it's kind of what they do. Meanwhile, a federal judge in New York blocking the state from forcing medical workers to be vaccinated because a group of healthcare workers have sued, claiming their rights were violated with a vaccine mandate that disallowed religious exemptions. Now, I would argue it's different in the medical world than in the rest of the world. Not that I think that the vaccine stops you from getting COVID or stops you from spreading COVID, both of those are not true. It lessens symptoms. It could have other issues and I think that's what people worry about or concerned about and have questions about and they don't want to be forced into, into taking it. I don't have any issue with that because they are no more of a danger to someone who is vaccinated. They're only a danger to other people who are unvaccinated, if you will and that's on them. That's a decision made. I have no issue. I think it's interesting that the judge did it. So the judge giving the state of New York until September 22nd to respond to the lawsuit We're gonna follow that story, see how it goes. We're gonna follow Simone Biles and Michaela Maroney testifying in front of Congress today about the sexual assault of Larry Nassar. I didn't even get to the recall. Gavin Newsom stays. I owe uh, I owe Ari a (laughs) milkshake. According to a release, the United States is sending sixty-four million dollars in humanitarian assistance to the people of Afghanistan. Are we nuts? You think they'll get any part of that? Who would who would believe this? Who would begin to say such a thing? That's. Ah. We wonder why things don't get better. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Meanwhile, the Justice Department, they've got an order. uh, They're seeking an order against the Texas abortion law. This thing has driven people just absolutely batty. Roe v. Wade is not sacrosanct. It is not, and it should be repealed because as a matter of law, it is terrible. And for the people out there saying it's the constitutional right to an abortion no it's not you just say those words as if they mean something they don't mean anything the justice department is asking a federal court in Texas to stop enforcement of the new state law which bans really bans abortions in the state and the justice department wants this stopped while they decide the case who are you to decide any case or you want the federal court to decide the case what do you want them to decide oh oh, i get it i get it you want to bring this to scotus you want to have the conversation about roe v wade okay cool cool i'm down with it i am down with it unless you have some other thing that you think that you as the justice department can do and say sorry you can't have this law justice department doesn't have that authority wait does it can you imagine that you can pass a law in a state it actually goes to SCOTUS and they don't hear it like look we don't see anything here that we can mess with but you haven't actually brought us the you know anything that we can we can decide on You haven't done that Or is the Je- Department of Justice planning on saying well we've decided that we don't like this law so you can't do it They don't have that power Texas should tell them to kiss off That's how it should go. The real conversation here is, again, the Roe versus Wade conversation. And the Roe v. Wade conversation goes as follows. It's bad decision-making. It's a bad piece of legislation. Wait, stop that. It's not legislation, and that's the whole problem. They decided this right to abortion out of whole cloth. In the same way I oppose the Obergefell decision, I oppose Roe v. Wade. Obergefell was same-sex marriage, and I don't oppose two people living their lives together. I don't even oppose two people living their lives together and getting tax advantages from it. I think they should be available to everybody. I oppose the idea that you create a law out of whole cloth through the courts. Same-sex marriage was winning in the states. There was no need for the Supreme Court to get involved, but they decided that there was this constitutional right to same-sex marriage, which there is not. Thus, Obergefell should be overturned based on the constitutionality, based on the idea that it is a bad bit of precedent, based on the idea that it is the Supreme Court creating law and the Supreme Court does not get to create law. They don't get to do that. I would overturn Obergefell, I would overturn, roe v wade on the same grounds but if the department of justice wants to decide that they are so activist that they can stop a state from enacting a law well then that's a department of justice that just has to go just has to go if you, if you are willing to cheer that, then you are somebody who doesn't believe in the rule of law. You believe in the authoritarian state to move along the lines of how you see things going. That's, that, that's obscene. We have said many times, if you have an abuse of government power in the party that you like, wait till it's in the hands of the party that you don't like. Only at that moment will you find it wrong. No, it's wrong because it's wrong because it's wrong. Speaking of wrong... Uh, living in Indianapolis, at the heart of what was this conversation about U.S. gymnastics and Larry Nassar and the horror story that is Larry Nassar and the sexual abuse of female gymnasts for years. I mean, I, when this story came out, I, I did not cover it. I, I didn't have the stomach for it. I left it to the news guys. As as, a, as somebody who does uh, commentary, I just. I admit that this was ugly and getting your, your head around it the years of abuse the the feeling of helplessness from these women to, in, in a way that I cannot properly understand or comprehend um, awful well they were uh, in front of Congress today I think in front of the Senate and one of those people Uh, was Simone Biles testifying in front of the committee.
2: ...international competitions, including world championships and the Olympic Games. Over the course of my gymnastics career, I have won 25 world championship medals and seven Olympic medals for Team USA. That record means so much to me, and I am proud of my representation of this nation through gymnastics. I am also a survivor of sexual abuse and I believe without a doubt that the circumstances that led to my abuse and allowed it to continue are directly the result of the fact that the organizations created by Congress to oversee and protect me as an athlete, USA Gymnastics and the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee committee failed to do their jobs. Nelson Mandela once said, there can, be, there can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children. It is the power of that statement that compels and empowers me to be here in front of you today. I don't want another young gymnast, Olympic athlete, or any individual to experience the horror that I and hundreds of others have endured before, during, and continuing to this day in the week. Of the Laring abuse.
1: there's no way to understand exactly, Sorry. exactly what these girls went through. And to hear them, you know, it's funny. I couldn't report on the story, but I want to make sure everybody hears her. That's a that's an interesting thing because you you un, unless you have the ability, I have often said to friends who have gone through certain horrors certain you know tragedies i have no way of understanding what you've gone through and but i'm i'm here to listen i've said that many times in my life and that's as a friend and i I believe this true in many cases what has happened is that some people say i've gone through a, a a horror so therefore you have to do something differently well that i don't accept but I do accept very clearly. I don't try and say, oh, I know how you feel. Oh, yes. No, I don't know how you feel. I have absolutely no way of knowing how Simone Biles feels. As a matter of fact, I would think it's incredibly insulting to myself. Never mind how insulting to Simone Biles or any of these gymnasts. It would be to be like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I had a bad thing happen to me once. No, it's not. No, 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 no. But listen to her.
2: To be clear, I blame Larry Nassar, and I also blame an entire system that enabled and perpetrated his abuse. USA Gymnastics and the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee committee knew that I was abused by their official team doctor long before I was ever made aware of their knowledge. In May of 2015, Rhonda Fayan, the former head of USA Gymnastics Women's Program, was told by my friend and teammate, Maggie Nichols, that she suspected I, too, was a victim. I didn't understand the magnitude of what all was happening until the Indianapolis Star published its article in the fall of 2016 entitled, Former USA Gymnastics Doctor Accused of Abuse. Yet while I was a member of the 2016 U.S. Olympic team, neither USAG, USOPC, nor the FBI ever contacted me or my parents. While others had been informed and investigations were ongoing, I had been left to wonder why I was not told until after the Rio Games.
1: That is where it's going to get really damning. That's where it's going to get. I mean, people are going to wonder why this, not that. Also speaking was uh, Michaela Maroney, uh, Olympian, on this subject. The button
2: on your microphone. Slide. Are we on?
3: All right. Good morning. Thank you Chairman Durbin, Ranking Member Grassley, and members of the Judiciary Committee for inviting me to speak today. As most of you are probably aware, I was molested by the U.S. gymnastics national team and Olympic team doctor Larry Nassar. In actuality, he turned out to be more of a pedophile than he was a doctor. What I'm trying to bring to your attention today is something incredibly disturbing and illegal. After telling my entire story of abuse to the FBI in the summer of 2015, not only did the FBI not report my abuse, but when they eventually documented my report 17 months later, they made entirely false claims about what I said. After reading the Office of Inspector General's OIG report, I was shocked and deeply disappointed at this narrative they chose to fabricate. They chose to lie about what I said and protect a serial child molester rather than protect not only me but countless others. My story
1: that is the story. The people who knew and did nothing, the story this this idea that people knew and engaged in manipulation of data and facts. What trust should someone have in the FBI? If that's the case, now you got to ask yourself, is Michaela Maroney making it up? Oh, I think she comes across as what we call as a credible witness. We have said this before about the agencies and the institutions that we're supposed to respect and uphold. They have let us down time and time and time again, the FBI and the CIA and so many others. But we see it in different ways. But the truth is, it doesn't matter how you look at it, the letdown is the same. So let us clean house. Let us start fresh and start anew. Maybe the FBI should be returned to what their original tasks are. Maybe the CIA just needs to quite literally get blown up. But don't let the testimony of Simone Biles and Michaela Maroney and these other women don't let it just go by listen to it they have a horrible story to tell and I think the last thing we should be doing is being the people who acted like many in the FBI did and didn't listen at all I'm Tony Katz So mortgage demand is back. I actually thought it was waning. It's not because the rates were going up or anything. Um, It's that what what you saw was, was just prices coming down a little bit. Maybe everyone's gotten a house. They're not sure how the markets are going to go. Uh, and so they're like, hmm, let's hold off. And I, in anecdotally, I had seen housing prices around me going down. But as CNBC reports the story, mortgage demand, highest level since April. Because new listings were rising all summer. So things were, were heading back up. Was the average 30-year is unchanged to 303 I mean, 3% is, 3% is an unbelievable, unbelievable rate. That My take, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, I think that's pretty solid. It's so amazing to me still how the market just keeps on keeping on. Keeps on keeping on no matter what else is going on around it. Meanwhile, Pfizer says it's Israel data shows the third COVID shot boost uh, efficacy to 95%, making the case for boosters. But people aren't interested in boosters. They're not interested. They're not interested in being forced. They're not interested in forced boosters. They're they're, they're not. Some people will do it. Many people will be like, you know what, let's just see how this goes. Everyone just settle down. I'm cool. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Yeah, I think that when you have two FDA officials who resign over the idea of pushing boosters because they, they're saying, honestly, there's no, there's no data here. Just because Israel wants to do it, okay. See, here's a great example. This is me be having an opposition to Israeli policy and not being an anti-Semite. As opposed to Ilhan Omar, who is an anti-Semite. There, great, great, great way to explain that. By the way, uh, I'm out tomorrow for Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. Right, you have Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. You have the Day of the Atonement. You're trying to get inscribed in the Book of Life. How can you be have a a better year, be a better person? Um, I have decided uh, the the answer is to do a better job training producer Ari. I'm perfect. Better job, better job. That's gonna be that's gonna be me. Uh, but you can uh, talk about Israeli policy, disagree with it without being an anti semite. That's what I just did. Ilhan Omar still a bigot. That's the way it is. So I'm out tomorrow. Kim Edwards is in. So be good to him. Meanwhile, the best story of the day comes from Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana. It is fantastic. A vicious mother, isn't he? Yes, he is. And I'll tell you why. You had Jim Banks talking about Representative Ocasio-Cortez's dress, you know, the one that's said tax the rich. She was just begging for attention. She got it. She got attention. That much happened. All right. And so it's tax the rich and how ridiculous she looks wear- wearing it, not in terms of she looked bad in it, just the idea of what she was doing there with all those elitists in, in New York at the Met Gala, $30,000 tickets. There are now people uh, filing ethics reports against her, ethics complaints against her because she basically took a bribe. Oh, it's fantastic. Meanwhile, uh, Banks had had, uh, tweeted out, tax AOC's dress. All right. Sure, whatever. Something a congressman would say. And he obviously did a couple of those. So Representative Eric Swalwell, you know, the the guy who wants to nuke Americans and wasn't even uh, good enough to have sex with a communist spy. I don't think he ever had sex with that woman, Fang Fang. I don't think he ever did. He tweets out, does Swalwell, three tweets about AOC's dress. Do you need a restraining order? To which Jim Banks responds Sorry, Eric, only one of us has a thing for communist women. All right, all right, all right. That's awesome. That is absolutely, positively fantastic. Just. Can we a little something? A little something. I got to tell you, Eric Swalwell is just a, a punk and a creep and a low life. Good on Banks. Good on Banks. More to get to. Keep it right here. This is Tony Katz today. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio.